I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Thanks for downloading and listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. If you have yet to visit the Dr. Dish Basketball website, you're missing out on a lot of great resources there. Included in those resources is a shooting drill series that I've designed for you to use with your players. For each of those drills, you can find a diagram explanation, also a video of the drill. To find those, simply visit drdishbasketball.com and click on blog from the drop-down menu. Again, that's drdishbasketball.com. Not one, but two special guests today. First one has been on the show before. Coach Burton Uaro is the head coach of the Bob Jones University Bruins. Coach Uaro and I are honored to have with us one of his former players, Thomas Bridges, who is currently an assistant video coordinator in the NBA. Thomas, I know with training camp starting up, this is a really busy time of year. So thanks for making this possible. Absolutely. Coach, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Coach you, thanks for creating that connection. Good to have you. At the NBA level, I know when people hear uh, anything about like video coordinator, they might have one thing come to mind, but can you kind of give a brief synopsis on what you actually do? At this level, there's a lot of um, a lot of scouting, obviously. The way that some teams do it is uh, we do what's called like a five out. So we more or less watch and enter play calls in our databases for the different teams. So we'll watch, say we play, uh, say we play Golden State, at some point next week, we'll start watching five games out, four games out, three, two, one, into the play calls and kind of give those to the coaches so that they can make the decisions. Um, we're going to guard this action this way, this action this way. We do personnel edits, which personally is uh, my my favorite thing to do. Um, is just study guys and their tendencies. So, I mean, you know, Steph is a hard one, right? Like he's probably one of the one of the greatest scorers of all time, best shooter ever. Uh, but, you know, you look at different guys, right? Like he wants to drive to his right and spin back left. This guy wants to get downhill and put up floaters off of two. Um, so force him to do this or that instead. You know, just finding different ways to make guys uncomfortable. At this level, it's hard to, you know, quote, stop guys, right? Because they're the, they're the best, you know, in the world. So how can we make him struggle? How can we make it harder for him to get, you know, these these looks? out of, you know, these actions that we're watching. With so many games that you all play, is it more of preparing for, like you said, actions and tendencies than it is for preparing for individuals? Is the is it more focused individuals once you kind of get to the playoffs and you see a guy multiple times in a, in a row, or, or is there that detail every night? Kind of depends on the team. You know, obviously, you know, you have the, the elite talents, you know, of the NBA, you've got to make special adjustments Right. Like we saw that uh, we saw that in the playoffs, I think, uh, most heavily in the uh, the Atlanta Milwaukee series. Right. Where Milwaukee is known for leaving Brooke at the rim. And, you know, Budenholzer's thing for his entire stint there was like, we're not moving Brooke out. But then Trey Young came out and he just kept dinging floaters on their head. And so it was, you know, he brought Brooke up and that changed the series for them. Right. Like he he's a great big and drop. But if we're going to get past this team, we've got to make an adjustment. So the playoffs are a big time for that. Um, I think when you've got guys who are at that, you know, that elite level, you have to kind of, you know, bring yourself back and say like, what pieces of our identity are we going to have to surrender to deal with this? Because at, at this level, like I said earlier, you can't stop everything. It's just not 
practical. So you have to decide what it is that you're going to deal with. So, you know, some teams, they decide to play in that drop in the regular season. And they say, you know, if you're going to beat us, you're going to give us 60 points just off of, you know, mid-range jump shots, where analytically it's said that those aren't good shots. So we believe that the rest of our defense, the rest of our identity will, will handle what else you have to offer. But this is where you're going to have to beat us. And I think that changes, you know, when you have those superstar talents or when you do get in the postseason where, you know, we've got to beat you four times out of seven to, to move forward. Especially once you get to the playoffs. Are a lot of decisions made off of the analytics, like the general analytics, or is it specific to like that team? Because you've only got maybe four to seven games. And if you keep playing the analytics, you can end up finding yourself like getting swept. I think you have to, right? Uh, in the playoffs, you're you're fighting for your life. If you don't figure out a way to to make what this team does well difficult, then you know you're gonna be at home watching you know, the, the banners get raised and the trophy held up, you know, that whole celebration with everybody else. So I, I think you do have to make adjustments. Um, I think where a lot of people get in trouble, in my opinion, is like they, they make adjustments too fast and too aggressively. But, you know, again, there is some, there's some gray area there where it's like, we, we can't wait too long to figure that out. And I think that's where, you know, the, the preparation comes from you know people like myself in the video room where we're just you know pushing out all these edits to coaches uh this coach says he wants to watch you know 100 clips of this 100 clips of that and i think that that's where the preparation comes into play so more times than not you won't be getting surprised by stuff in the playoffs you know unless you've got those teams who are like hiding things from you in the regular season we saw some of that this year we're like you you never did that against us but mm -hmm. You know, all of a sudden, it, it's been made very clear that you've been practicing and saving this. So I think that, yeah, you do have to make adjustments, but you've got to, you've got to have some some previous knowledge before you move into that, because doing anything too quickly is is a problem, but also waiting too long is a problem. So that I think that prep is where uh, where a lot of that comes into play. I ask that because I think sometimes we're so analytics heavy that we just keep like focusing in on those. And sometimes to the detriment of we swing so far that way that we end up costing ourselves a game or a series. But then on the other side, it's like, there's some guys still out there who are like, no, it's all feel and I, I'll take care of it. And it sounds like it's more of just like a balance. You've been in the league long enough now. Any changes that you've seen, like even specifically in the last like two or three years, where based off of what you see in the numbers or how things are being played now, there are changes in our strategy because of a change that people I maybe still are, well, this is how the game is played type of thing. One of the more interesting things I'm seeing lately is there's a lot more uh, of those step-up screens being set, like kind of in the early flow transition portion of the game. And I know that normally we think of step-ups, you know, you think the play is broken down, a uh, guard calls for, you know, the big to come get them on the sideline. Or you think of, you know, the play or the quarter kind of ending, you know, everybody's running some version of angle. But I'm, I want to say the first person, uh, first team that I noticed doing it, you know, kind of more in the flow of things, not to say that he was, but it was the first person that I noticed, uh, Coach Atkinson in Brooklyn. I mean, I think they called it like hook or something like that. And it'd be, you know, Dinwiddie or it'd be Levert coming downhill in transition. Your defense is scrambled. You're trying to figure out where the ball is, contain it, this, that, and the third. And they come and set a step-up screen um, in transition. And it's not your traditional drag. 
it's, you know, the big gets down below the defender and then he flips it. And so now you're in a situation where you don't have, you know, you're not set, you know, where you're kind of calm isn't the right way to look at it, right? But you're less frantic, you know, than you would be as you would be in a half court set. And so you can't really get it stapled to the sideline because that's hard in transition. So, you know, your big calls blue or, or down or ice or whatever the call is, and he's not there. Now the guard's got a, you know, free layup at the rim. Or even worse, he's got what looks like a free layup and you get there. And now the ball's getting sprayed out for a three. And now you get banged for three instead of two. So that's, I thought that was really interesting. Another thing is kind of in that similar transition flow of things is a lot more empty corner drags, which are, again, tough to guard. You've got that corner clear and you're, you know, you've got a, somebody who's just trying to put their head on the rim, right? Like a Clint Capella, you know, uh, Rudy Gobert, like that's tough to guard uh, with that empty corner. You can't tag the roller. So whoever that is on that side is kind of by themselves and especially in transition, right? Where if the guard gets cracked, now it's over. There's really nothing you can do about it except foul the guy. One more that I wanted to ask what you brought up actually a little bit earlier. There's people talking about it, but I wanted to hear from somebody who's actually in the in the league and, and hearing this from coaches to shooting that mid-range and then also the – I think everybody wants to be like Trey Young and shoot the floater. But do you feel like that's coming back a little bit more because of the drop coverages and because of taking away what's there at the at the front of the rim? Yeah, I do. I do think so. And uh, hopefully, you know, the, the NBA heads don't come raining on my head for this, but I, I do think that – there is a there's there's a place for that uh, for mid range uh, shots. You know, analytically, you know, people say mid range shots and everybody clutches their pearls, right? Like, how dare you? But a lot of times it's it's open because these bigs are playing at the rim. Personally, I don't think a mid range shot is a quote bad shot, but I do think sometimes an open one is the best one available, right? Like you look at Kimba in the playoffs during that bubble situation where, you know, teams were playing in drop and Kimba's shooting, you know, summertime workout jumpers because nobody's contesting it. But I think that now, you know, you're seeing big start playing up to touch more to kind of deter that. And I think that as these guards get more skilled, the game is going to keep evolving. You know, you do have those those upper echelon scores, right, where, you know, you have Kobe, you know, may he rest in peace. You've got, you know, Booker, right, who it just seems like there's there's really not a whole lot you can do to stop him once he gets going. Uh, Chris Middleton, you've got uh, Kevin Durant, these guys, you know, who are kind of that upper echelon where like you you don't really, you can't tell them what a bad shot is. You know, they put the ball in the air and as a defense, you're just like, please, I hope they miss. But, you know, I, I wouldn't say you are drawing stuff up to get mid-range jumpers out of things, but I think that to neglect that developmentally you know, just, oh, we're not doing mid-range jumpers because I don't want you shooting those, or we're not doing mid-range jumpers because it's a, quote, bad shot. I think that's a disservice to to the players because uh, there are times when that shot's going to be open, right? You know, you've got your pump fake out of the corner, one dribble pull up, it's wide open. I think you, you've you got to take it unless there's absolutely an easier three to give away or, you know, somebody sliding to the basket. But, you know, there's in the NBA, how many times are you going to be absolutely wide open? right, with these wings and guards and their crazy length, right, or you've got these bigs who are getting more and more mobile. It's it's rare that you have a wide open look at the basket. And I think that if you've got one, you know, take it within reason. Coaches, are you looking to take your game preparation to the next level? 
then Fast Model Sports is the perfect coaching software for you. Build an organized library of plays and drills and create professional playbooks to share with your players and staff. You can also download over 9,000 free plays and drills from our play bank directly to your FastDraw account. Need a better way to build your scouting reports? With FastScout, build custom scouting report templates to prepare your team best for each individual opponent. The combination of FastDraw and FastScout is the best way for you and your coaches to create winning game strategies and effectively communicate them to your team. Over 10,000 high school and youth coaches use Fast Model Sports technology to help their team reach their goals. Use code AQT10 to get 10% off any FastDraw and FastScout products. Again, that's AQT10 to get 10% off any FastDraw and FastScout products. Talk about workouts. Because when I, I've heard this in, in baseball and I'm, I'm transferring it now over to basketball as I think through it, but in baseball, we have this shift of it's all basically strikeouts or home runs. Everybody's always asking, you know, well, when is a team going to come along and basically go back to like small ball? The hard part about that is, is that you can't then ask a, a guy who has literally been brought up from youth all the way up to the ma- majors to go from just swinging as hard as they can to just, oh, well, let's just, let's kind of just hit that in between now. In my opinion, that's like asking a basketball player who has literally spent their entire life practicing shooting threes and finishing around the rim. Oh, well, let's just shot fake and, and step into a pull-up jump shot. That should be easy to do. They can shoot it from out there. They can shoot it from inside. They should be able to shoot mid-range jump shots. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like I don't even think NBA players can just make a switch like that. You, you don't just become automatic. Kimball Walker is not a great mid-range jump shooter just because he just randomly thought, well, you know, they're taking away my three. I'm going to shoot a mid-range. He, I'm, I'm assuming he puts in literally thousands of hours shooting mid-range jump shots. My question is, as we're coming off of the offseason and you've had opportunities to work out with players and see what they're working on in the offseason, how important is that working out what they're doing in the individual workouts and that transferring over into games? I think that I have been incredibly fortunate to to be where I am and have seen you know so many different workouts. Um, I've had access to a number of different coaches who I've had you know the pleasure of watching you know conduct workouts and and kind of get these different philosophies and different feels for things. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with with Coach U for for a couple of years in the summertime, and I think that what I see from the best coaches is they they can fabricate or they can replicate in-game situations, right? So we've all seen, you know, the the Instagram and the YouTube, right, where guys are, you know, they're throwing tennis balls at people and like dodge this and get under it, like, you know, stuff like that. I'm sure there's a place for it, but, you know, how, how can I create an in-game situation that a player is going to see and help them succeed in that situation? Um, so like you mentioned, Kimba, you know, shooting mid-range pull-ups, right? Like there is a there is a progression to that, right? So like, let's get some spot shots up. Um, not a ton of them, right? Because like I said earlier, like how many times are you going to be wide open at the elbow every single time, just catching the ball and shooting it? I would argue that it's not that frequent that you just catch the ball at the elbow, you're wide open and you pull up. So let's get a few spot shots to get you warm. And then let's get into some one dribble pull-ups and you know to kind of get the mechanics right you know you're you're left to right or you're right to left or you know you just uh you know you get the skip step type thing but then you kind of put it all together right and now you're coming off of a pick and roll or maybe you're getting a dho from the corner 
and you're coming out of the corner into, you know, into that pull up because they went under or they got cracked by the screen or they were too late getting to you. And I think that being able to create those situations is is huge. And what I love to see is, you know, like the the three on three stuff, because I think that three on three gives you a number of chances because you'll always, you know, when you're playing five on five, obviously the game looks a little different. But I think, you know, three on three stuff out of situations kind of forces you to to see what the options are in that situation, because more times than not, right, when you're playing, yeah, you're going against five defenders when you got the ball, but they're in different shifts, they're in different coverages, you know, they're rotating on the backside, moving the eye, et cetera, et cetera. But you're probably playing, you know, with the guy who set the screen and with the guy who passed you the ball. Now, once you get into the lane, if they rotate, then it's different. But, you know, we can kind of move up to that, you know, once we start playing five on five. So creating those situations, I think, is is big. And I think that a lot of coaches who can kind of get creative with that, you know, you hear um, people talk about like disadvantage drills or advantage drills and kind of put players in that situation and then give them the options. I think that that's where the learning comes into play because, you know, what, what good is it, you know, for you to be shooting against nothing but cones, right? Like the, the cone doesn't have that six, seven, six, eight wingspan or that seven foot wingspan. If you got your Josh Kogis or your Matisse Thibos of the world, right? Playing in that gap as a nail defender. So I think that being able to create those situations is, is huge. And, um, and not just so much your spot shots and your cone drills and your tennis balls and things like that. Um, there's a place for it, but I think that the most valuable learning comes from putting you in a state of chaos and giving you the options to figure out like, what way can I best succeed? Because Kimba is going to succeed differently than Tobias Harris would, who would succeed differently than Zach Levine would. And, you know, giving players the kind of freedom to figure it out, but not leaving them stranded to do so, giving them their options. So you've been now five years and you've seen guys that are kind of like on the border, the guys that stick, what is the thing that helps them stick? The guys that are in the league, you're around some guys who are, if we were to mention them, we're talking about like top 10, top five dudes. What separates those dudes from the others and what keeps guys from having the long careers? I think that uh, I'll start from the, uh, from the bottom and kind of work, uh, work up on that question. So the guys who don't fit, it's a lot of times I think it's, it's um, or don't stick rather, I think it's a combination of fit and um and just kind of accepting the role they're given or maybe not maybe given's tough uh accepting the role that they that they have to get into so coach that i worked with um a while ago uh dan tashney probably one of my favorite people in the world he said something that is super simple but it's genius right in the nba vanilla will get you paid and it will get you paid for a long time you look at a guy like uh, like clint capella he blocks shots he sets screens, he rolls hard, right? Now, and I don't mean to discredit, you know, him as a player, but theoretically, right? Like that's simple, right? Simple, not easy, but simple. And he just signed for what, 46, 47 million for two years? Like that's a that's a lot of money, right? Like that's generational changing money, but it's it's simple, right? You know, you and that's a that's a role for a lot of bigs. And I've, I've come across some bigs who didn't want to do that you know, the, their role was like, I see you as a, as a pick and roll big, I see you as a rim protector. And like, oh no, I wanna, you know, the, the death 
gargle of of the NBA is, oh, I want to get in my bag. And you just go, oh, no. <laughs> right. Like I it really pains me when like when fringe guys say stuff like that, because you're like you're you're really messing with your money, dude. So I think that that's what it is. And, you know, a lot of times fit is understated, but you do have to find a team that that needs your skill set. And I think you're even better off when they need and want it. So then kind of moving into the the guys who, who kind of come in and, and they do stay, I think that fit is obviously huge, but accepting that role. And, you know, that kind of goes back to the development thing, right? Like you, this is your role. You're a three and D guy, right? You're running the corners in transition and you're spotting up or you're getting, you know, pin downs or you're a second side guy or play breaks down. I just need to find you on the wing and let you shoot it. And on the other end, I need you to lock down their second or first best, you know, player. Now in the summer, right, like maybe we can work on, you know, you getting that shot fake and driving in that second move to get you to the rim. But like, I don't, I don't want you like focusing on that per se, right? Like you gotta, you gotta be really, really good in your role. And then as opportunities open up, you can maybe expand on it, not necessarily leave it behind and move on. There are guys who've done that, but that's not their typical trajectory. And then the work ethic within that role, right? Like you showing up and doing your vitamins before practice, getting up extra shots after practice, totally underrated, but guys taking care of their bodies, right? Like nobody, nobody really loves the ice tub to start off with, but you know, you got to get in there. You got to take care of yourself. The NBA season is a, is a grind. The G League season is, is a grind and it's a grind without NBA amenities. So take care of yourself. You got to be ready to play tomorrow night because that's the only way you can make your money is if you're on the court. So, you know, taking care of your body, um, eating well, things like that. And also another underrated piece is just be a good dude, right? Because like, if it comes down to it, there are, you know, Lord knows how many basketball players on the planet. If you're doing this stuff, you know, and you're doing it at a solid level, but you're just like a role player level guy and nobody likes you, you're not going to stick. I've seen a couple of guys who have put themselves out of situations because like they were good basketball players. There's no doubting that incredibly talented NBA level guys, but it was always like, Oh, here he comes again. Or, Oh, he's in one of his moods again. And you like, you know what I mean? So I think that's huge. And you know, the, that elite level, that top tier upper echelon player, like it starts with the work ethic and the skill, but I think the knowledge takes them to a different atmosphere because once you get to a certain level, right? Like now teams are game planning for you. So your skill though, incredibly important, isn't the only thing. Cause you're not, you're not playing one-on-one anymore. It's not you versus your defender. It's you versus the other team's coach, because you've got to figure out how to react to defenses, right? So how do you play out of double teams? How do you play out of, you know, aggressive switches? How do you play out of blitz situations? So it's, it's you being able to beat your defender, but also you being able to beat the game plan. And, and guys who can do that, I think, are incredibly impressive because it takes a, another level of focus, another level of buy-in, and another level of, of like, uh, self-realization, right? Like, where do you stand in the grand scheme of, you know, what it is that we're trying to accomplish as a team? You know, I have a younger group of coaches that listens to this, and some of them are probably interested in, and would love to be in a position like you're in right now maybe some suggestions that you ha- would have for them and maybe just a quick rundown on what your path was to get to there. I'll start with, uh, with a, a, a minute, but important detail. I remember the day I graduated, 
uh, high school. I was walking out, super excited. And Coach U walks up to me, shakes my hand. He's like, I'm proud of you, man. You know, you, you've been great. And he goes, if you ever want to, you know, come and coach here, there'll always be a seat on my bench for you. And at that point, I had literally never in my life considered coaching basketball. I was like, I was like, yeah, for sure. But I remember walking away and be like, why would he say that to me? Like, I, I wasn't even good. Like, <laughs> you know, but, you know, that so that kind of planted the seed, uh, you know, fast forward um, into my, you know, couple years at, at Georgia Tech, I was fortunate enough to be a manager there um, and learn under some, you know, some impressive basketball minds, a few head coaches now, some of some of them have league experience. Uh, one of them is coaching in the G League now. But at Georgia Tech, I was really just fortunate enough to connect with people who one day would later give me an opportunity to, you know, to kind of move forward. We were literally in the gym doing summer workouts and stuff. And I told one of the coaches that I was working with that uh, I said, hey, if you ever need a video guy, let me know. You know, just kind of joking in jest. And literally a year later, he needed a video guy and he gave me a call. And then I was able to work in the G League video coordinator for a couple of years. And then I got an opportunity to get called up to an NBA position in an assistant video coordinator role. And this is where I am now. I mean, I'm sure there are more qualified people out there, but I've been blessed to kind of meet the people who would one, you know, push me and believe in me and give me opportunities to learn and, you know, teach me on my way up. I ask a lot of questions and, you know, they haven't gotten too agitated at how many times I ask questions yet. So I just keep asking and try to keep learning along the way. Uh, long-term goals for you, long-term position you'd like to be in? With analytics growing, um, I think that there is, there's a role that maybe doesn't exist yet where there is someone who can kind of tie the numbers and the basketball together. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to be one of the, um, you know, the people that says points per possession and points per chance is this, 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 without being able to kind of back the basketball side of that up. So I think that my trajectory being able to watch as much film as I have in the video room, but also having an understanding on how to compute and then relay those numbers to the people who need that. I think that that is a role that if it hasn't already been kind of set is maybe forming. I think that that would be where my unique skill set would be most beneficial. I've got software engineering experience and there's, you know, some scripting and sports code that I can kind of take advantage of and uh, find ways to creatively ask the question why to different numbers we get. You know, numbers never lie, right? But if you're not asking the right question, it doesn't mean anything. Appreciate you coming on, Thomas. I mean, we probably could go on for a long time, but you're a busy man. I know you got stuff this afternoon too. So I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.